Welcome to the Wisdom Club podcast, where we talk to inspirational business leaders in our community that inspire us to lead a life full of wisdom and build a business as worthy of our wildest dreams. I'm your host, Leo Chen. I'm a tech entrepreneur, real estate advisor, and investor located right here in sunny coastal Orange County, California. And the goal of this podcast is to expand your mind and share what's possible. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Wisdom Club podcast. Uh, thank you guys for watching those of you out there um, who are enjoying your day hopefully and looking forward to the weekend but um, I have a really special guest today and um, I'd love to introduce you to him and uh, he has come to us from the real estate and lending and the uh, investor world and uh, it's a topic that we always have the most engagement we always have the most curiosity uh, for the people that are listening and so I wanted to really bring him on and uh, dive deep into this uh, hello Kevin how are you Leo, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great. Um, and so for the people out there that don't have any context with you, obviously, this is my first time talking with you uh, in depth, uh, other than, you know, little, uh, little niceties, you know, before we started. Uh, can you tell everybody uh, just kind of uh, what you do overall? And then we can kind of dig into your uh, story a little bit about how you got here, you know? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a real estate investor at my core. I've been doing it for a couple of decades um, now. And through that process, which it sounds like we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, um, I really fell in love with the financing side of real estate. That's, that's where the deal structure all originates from. So I really like the financing of real estate. Became a mortgage broker for a little while. That was terrible. Um, I, wanted, I needed more control over the business, so I started raising private capital. And I loan that out to real estate investors. So right now, hard money, private money lending, that's that's what we do now. Awesome. And you are based out of uh, where? Uh, I'm just outside of Denver. Okay. Have you always been in Denver? Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I was born in Denver, grew up in a suburb, and, and I went into the Army out of high school and went to Georgia for training and then got stationed in Colorado. So I think I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be here. Yeah, well, awesome. I mean... Uh... It's always interesting how where where our lives take us sometimes, and um, everything seems to all work out with billions of people out there, and everybody's got their own path, and seems like everybody's landing where they should be. It's just this is totally you know amazing to me. And so uh, you are in uh, in the lending world, and I think one of the most common questions I always ask about because because of our wide you know audience in different parts of the country and sometimes the world here. Uh, do you are, are do you do lending for all of the states here in the uh, in North America? So we we can work with anybody in the country on our passive investing side. So we have a public mortgage fund that's been approved by the SEC and and we're able to bring in pri private capital into that fund for all over every state. On the lending side, we're just so careful with the money. Look, capital preservation is our number one priority. So we're geographically focused when we actually lend the money out to borrowers. Um, so we're in Colorado and Minnesota. Those are our two primary markets. We also do business in Wisconsin, and we just opened up an office in D.C. last year. Wow, amazing. Sounds like a, it's a tremendous amount of growth. So we always love hearing that. Yeah, it's been going great. Yeah, awesome. Um, and and I want I do want to dig into that a little bit, you know, about your thoughts about current markets for, uh, you know, both the investors and you know the typical typical buyers and uh, and sellers and stuff like that. But before we do that, I'd love to know your story. 
yeah. you know, I, I do know that you started at a really young age and, um, you know, maybe just to kind of go through what that journey like, because there is something that sparked that before that actually, you know, happened, you know, in your late teens, early, early 20s and stuff like that. So I'm yeah. always super interesting how that sparked it, because I have young people asking me like, well, how how do I do real estate? Like, how do I invest? Yeah. Like, I hear this word and that word. Like, so I think you're the pers perfect person to you know talk about that. Yeah. So I was when I was in high school, I was like so done with school. I didn't want to do one more class, none of that. But I didn't want to just waste away my life either. So I needed a break. I, I wasn't going to go to college, but what can I do where I'm not just stalling out a career? And that's why I, I joined the army. Now the the army is funny because it sold me on. Um, you know, join us. You're, you're going to learn how to play laser tag. It's going to be so much fun. And and so they sold me on the laser tag, and and uh, it was not quite like that. You know, it was a lot of a lot of hard work, and I was in infantry. Um, but the thing about the army is, I wasn't spending any money, so I wasn't making a ton. But I, I was living in the barracks. I had my truck paid off. I was eating in the mess hall. All of those things. So I decided I need to start thinking about what to do with the savings account that I'm accumulating and, and growing. So I started reading books and. You know, probably a lot of your guests have some a similar experience where I picked up that that purple financial Bible from Robert Kiyosaki, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That's really the one that got me going. Uh, I started just digesting finance and investing books after that, and everything was pointing to real estate. Uh, millionaires are made here. So I decided to, to buy that first house. I was just turning 21 at the time and moved into it when I got out of the army, moved out of it two years later, and I kept it as a rental property. And what I learned as I was renting this property out was I'm making money every month. It's cash flowing. Uh, my tenants paying off my mortgage for me. This is fantastic. I'm getting some tax benefits and it's going up in value. So there was so much benefit to this one little property that I owned that I decided to, to really focus in on real estate to make it a career. So this was, yeah, I was super young and I had already decided what my career was going to be. And I, and I became a, a real estate investor. While in college, while working, uh, I was buying one or two houses every month. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, you know, so I try to tell as many people as possible, young or old. Like, you know, I actually had uh, a client uh, tell me that you know I, I think buying a home is a scam. You know, they just want to really? you know you just get get entrenched in this debt and stuff like that. I'm like, oh. Wow, that's that's an interesting take. Like, why why do you think that? And he didn't really have an answer, and so I wanted to take the opportunity to to um, share with him, you know, you know why that is a is a good thing. And and you you and I know, you know, especially from Robert Kiyosaki's book, you know, there's two main ways to you know generate you know income, right? Either you own the business that allowed that business to work for you to generate, you know, this, there's no ceilings for that. If you can be as successful as possible and you can hire people and get people to do the work for you, for you to generate, you know, money that's not just out of your own efforts, but out of the leverage that you can do out of the business. And then of course the tax savings and, you know, the tax deductions and things like that you can take advantage. And number two is real estate, right? Very few things in the world are like, like real estate where you can buy something as it gets older, it actually goes up in value, right? Yeah. And, and then the ta again, the tax saving is there as well. And there's just so many ways to be able, and you coming from finance is perfect because I think 
you're probably one of the very few that started out in real estate in financing rather than starting out real estate going out looking for homes and i always tell all of my clients you know being in real estate sales that hey you know i know you want to see homes and we'll do that okay but imagine going to the grocery store without your wallet or not knowing how much money you have yeah, to buy funny. the food that you want what's going to happen that's you're going to come home hungry you're going to come home with no groceries and you're going to go figure it out and now you wasted time and all that stuff so i try to you know instill that in them and like hey let's deal with financing first so i love that story that you have is just like hey i have this money i'm saving money like what can i do hey there's this book hey you know it looks like if i do this financing properly i can you know buy something and it goes up in value and i can manage it and I can you know make money over time so I think uh, that I'd love for you to talk a, a little bit more about that more theoretically so that people can totally understand the value of this yeah the financing so it's the, the great thing about real estate and real estate investing is there's so many ways to make money and the sky is the limit when it comes to creativity so when I bought that second property um, I was 23 years old and I, I had been in the army, so I had the GI Bill. For those of you that don't know, that, that gives you a check every single month as long as you're in, in college. So I could use that for personal expenses. It wasn't necessarily allocated for college. Um, you just have to be in college to qualify. So I was getting paid every single month from the GI Bill. Well, I was also in the National Guard, which is one weekend commitment a month plus two weeks per year of training. And the guard actually paid the school, the college I was going to, for my, my tuition. Um, so now I had some money coming in from the GI Bill. I had my college pretty much covered from the guard. Um, yet I went out and got maxed out, actually, student loans. As much as I could borrow, I borrowed. I didn't need it for school. So I used that as a down payment on my second property. Look, it's super low interest rate debt. It's tax deductible. And it got me into a property that was going to produce wealth. So that was, that's how I got into my second property with no money down. And then from there, it just, it just grew. Um, so financing to come back to your, your question about the financing side, it's, you think about a, a asset going up in value, let's say it's a stock, for example. I mean, so if you go, if you have buy it for a hundred dollars and it goes to $110, you made a 10% return, right? Pretty simple math. Um, but that's unlevered, right? There's no leverage on there and you can leverage stocks. And we could talk about that. It's very risky in my opinion, but you can leverage stocks. Real estate, I could buy that $100 asset for, let's say, 90 bucks, right? I, if I'm gonna do a 10% down payment, um, actually fairly easy to get. So now I put 90 bucks down and I make make that 10 bucks. So now what's, or I put $10 down and make the 10 bucks, and now I'm at 100% return instead of the 10%, right? So if you, if you use a simple math of, of leveraging into an asset, you can see how it can really accelerate your returns. Obviously, a double-edged sword, so we should probably say that. Um, there is risk when you leverage. 2008 is a great example. Um, but as long as you're being smart with your leverage and it's smart debt, as Kiyosaki would say, then then you can really accelerate your growth. Yeah, I, I think uh, you're... I, I love your story because it was like a perfect storm, right? You know, uh, uh, going into the Army, um, you know, having some savings... Um, servicing our country, which, you know, we uh, greatly appreciate. Um, and as part of that, you're able to take out a loan at uh, no money down. And, uh, you know, I don't know that you can take out a loan to go, 
you could have, I suppose you could have taken out a loan to go buy a car, which depreci sure. depreciates in value and, and many other things as a young person, you know, might think that they want. Um, but instead you put it into real estate, which is probably the highest leverage over time that uh, you could you could have. And then you not only did you leverage, you know, the benefits of the services that you have, your own savings, and then uh, putting it into something like real estate, just exactly like what you said. Can buy an asset that's worth a hundred a hundred dollars right for example just for easy numbers uh and you can put ten dollars down right but your asset is still worth a hundred hundred dollars and every year um, and correct me if i'm you know wrong or right on these uh, historical numbers but on average over the history of you know say let last 30 40 50 years uh home prices have gone up between five percent and eight percent on average, a 5% year would be like an okay year. 8% would be like, you know, a great uh, a great year for appreciation. So that means every year that goes by, your $100 becomes, let's just say, 105 on the low side, right? And just, just for comparison, this doesn't happen all the time, just for comparison, in 2021, prices went up 24%. Here, at least yeah. in California, I, I can't say for the rest of the country uh, where I am. And then in 2022, uh, went up another 20%. Now, since 2022, it's come down about, you know, 10%. You're still plus 35, right? That's right. You know, and so now your $100 asset, okay, if you had gone, if you had purchased, say, three years ago, you're up $135, right, on your $10 investment. Right now, right. If you ex you expand that if you exchange that hundred dollars and use numbers for like a million dollars. Now you're talking hundreds of thousand dollars, right? Yeah. And so, where can you buy an asset, live in it, or rent it out, whatever you want to do with it, and that it goes up hundreds of thousands of dollars without you even doing anything, like no work. That's right. Right. That's right. And how about your tenant pays off your mortgage for you, and cash flow. I mean, it's, it's fantastic, right? What is your true return on that investment? Right, right. And, and lastly, I'll just make this one point because I'm just so passionate about this because I talk, I talk about it and, and have conversation with people about it all the time is that um, you can't, uh, with, the, with the asset, um, you, can own, you, 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 can, you can have somebody else pay for it, okay? But rents will go up over time always as as it goes up with uh, with inflation, okay, but your mortgage is fixed. And if you get an opportunity to refinance that, uh, if you want a lower payment, if you want to stretch out the, the time frame from 30 years, and if you paid off 25 years, you can stretch it back out to 30 years, and that allows you to have a lower payment, lower risk on your end, okay? And then if you rent it out, then of course, uh, lower risk again, because somebody else is paying that off for you. So your same $100, uh, you put down ten dollars to begin with. It goes up over uh, over time, and that nine ninety dollars that you're supposed to make payments on, let's say a dollar at a time or whatever, have somebody else pay for it. That's right. It's right. Beautiful. So it's it's a beautiful uh, you know triangle of asset, your investment, and how to actually leverage that you know over time. So uh, so if you have anything to add to that, I don't know how else I can put it more beautifully for people out there as to how important this is. Yeah, and that's, that's such a great way to describe that. And that's the very, very basic bones, conventional you know, down payment, go borrow a 30-year loan. That's basic, basic stuff we're talking about. You can get super creative and 
look, I didn't have any money when I was going to college. I was broke, right? I put all my money down on the first property. I was eating top ramen for God's sake. Yet I was buying a property every single month and I was able to do that because of the creativity. I didn't need to put money down to buy properties. So as you get better as an investor and you can learn different strategies, I mean, what's your return on investment when you don't have any money into the deal, right? Yeah, yeah. and uh, the numbers don't lie. So if you're finance and numbers first, like all that stuff will make sense to you. Like, you know, the light bulb has to go off. Right. And so uh, so I appreciate that. And so for those out there who are listening, who are interested in uh, real estate investing, but have no idea, like at least you should just get that fundamental aspect of it uh, to start and then right. connect with someone like uh, Kevin here uh, to just kind of like, hey, what are my first steps? And, you know, with that, we'd like to talk a little bit about that, you know, for people out there, like if you were to start over, OK, uh, maybe knowing what you know, um, and you're 17, 18 years old again, like what, yeah. what, what, how would you talk to your 17 year old self? You know, I get this question quite a lot and I, it's such a tough one for me to answer Leo, because I, I don't know that I would do a whole lot different. Now there's always, there's mistakes I've made through my career, of course. And I, I wish I would have been smarter at the specific time, but as a, like looking at it globally, I, I don't know that I would change a whole lot. My attitude when I was getting started was look, I'm going to make this work. And I was, I was too young to know that, to be afraid of failure, maybe. Maybe I was too young, I don't know, because we're all gonna fail at some point. We just gotta get up and keep moving forward, right? And that's how you become successful. So for me, it's very much take action and and do it quickly so that I can fail and learn and keep keep going. So it's a fight ready, ready, uh, ready, fire, aim approach instead of the aiming and aiming and aiming. Oh, okay, now let's, let's fire. So, Looking back at when I was very young to do it all over again, I kind of do the same thing, read some books and just go out and try to implement what I'm learning, um, knowing that I'm going to hear no a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Excellent. Uh, so uh, I think if it can take anything away is just that, you know, learn about it. And if you can start learning from the financing first, then everything should uh, put together nicely for you is how you think about it, because you can look at a home. You, if you don't know the numbers, you don't know what it's value. You don't know how to value it. If you don't know what it takes to buy that home and how your financial responsibility is, then you're kind of stuck in the mud, right? Yeah, but don't don't get stuck in the education trap like so many of us do. Mm -hmm. there, the information's out there. Look, you're doing a great job with, with this. What we're doing right right now. You, the information to be successful is not that hard to get. Yeah. Yeah. What people get stuck on is moving from that education to the results. And what's between education and results is the action. Yeah. So I would say really I would focus in on creating um, systems to overcome that fear so that you could actually take action, take that step, and so you can move towards success. Yeah, yeah, perfectly put. Uh, do some learning, take some action, see what the result, go back to learning, take some action, you, you have results, right? Uh, perfect. Um, so uh, I want to switch gears a little bit because I want to talk a little bit more about you. And um, obviously you've had um, over 15 years. I, I don't know, you know, uh, how, how many years exactly. And since then, uh, give us kind of an overview of the progression that you've gone in this industry. You know, uh, just like you said, you did, you know, kind of go into lending and stuff like that. But there are specific uh, a path that you went through and all the transaction that you went through and what led you from one uh, area to another area to private lending to funds to, you know, uh, where you are now and what people should know. 
Gosh, I'd say that's a, that's 20 years of uh, a story here, so I'll try to try to be quick. But so I, we talked about my first property. We talked about my second. Met that first property, interesting thing. I was making a, a lot of money on it with my very first tenant. Um, but it was also one of the biggest mistakes I made in my entire investing career. And that mistake, that specific mistake was I didn't screen the tenants when I moved them in. So it was going really well for a while. And then, you know, the, the famous saying, like, it's going well until it's not. Well, it turned out it wasn't going so well and tenants stopped paying and I had to go through my very first eviction. So first tenant, very first eviction. Um, and then I had a, a nightmare to deal with. I had, like, it was totally infested with roaches. Um, I had a stolen car in the back that I had to figure out how to how to deal with. I had someone moved into the shed, so they had run extension cords, and they were operating a stolen car stereo business out of my shed. Um, everything that could possibly go wrong did on this one, and I still stayed. I still stayed in the business. I think that experience might have taken a lot of people out, uh, but I was committed to it, and so I just I just kept moving forward. Um, I was really just reading books, you know, and. I couldn't afford the coaching programs and all of that at the time. So I was just reading books and I was just going out and trying it. So specific books say, well, try to call the uh, for rent by owners and go through this script. So I just picked up the phone. I started calling um, landlords and, and basically reading the script to them. And I would get a, a get appointments um, and I got my very first lease option. And, and that kind of that kind of set the stage for me, like the, this strategy was going to work. Uh, I had tried foreclosures and that's another story, but that didn't go so well for me at the beginning. Uh, but the lease options really stuck. And so I started doing more and more lease options. That's how I was able to buy with no money down. Um, and we can go into detail about how, the, how you structure those, but that's a super easy strategy to implement when you're getting started in this business. Yeah, I'd love for you to just kind of a high level overview of what exactly is lease option yeah. for those people who don't know. Yeah. And the reason I love it is because it's pretty easy to explain and understand. So when you're negotiating with a seller, they can get, they can grasp what you're explaining to them. But a lease option is really simple. Look, I'll, I'll, I'll lease your property from you for a set amount of rent and we're going to lock in a price, an option price. So something like a price I could buy the property, it's going to be somewhere around today's value. So you're going to get full price for your property. And maybe we do the term for five to 10 years or whatever it is. So I'm, I'm relieving payment pressure because typically the, the owners that are going to do this type of transaction with you are under some type of pressure, uh, double payments, something like that. Um, and then we're going to get this off of, off of your, um, your books, I guess to say, uh, you're going to get the property sold. So lease it for a set of time, set an option price. We're going to lock that price in. And then I am going to sublease that property out to a new tenant and I'm going to lock in a price to them to buy it from me. So I just get sandwiched in between two lease options. That's, I know it's really high level, but it's, it's really is that simple. It's a lease with a right to buy the property. Okay, great. So, so I know what people are thinking out there. Okay. I find somebody who uh, has a motivation to sell for whatever reason, something's happening with their job, something's happening with their family, whatever it is, you know, um, I put in a lease option with him. I get somebody else to come in and live in it. However, there's always issues with, Hey, the home is not in great condition. Uh, the, the the seller has to figure out, you know, when they're gonna, you know, move out in whatever condition that uh, they need to leave it in. So you do you you would have to put some money in to make that a, a livable condition for someone else to uh, lease it so that you can get it paid for. Uh, can can you talk through that a little bit? Because I know a lot of people run into that. Yeah. Yeah, so for me, when I was getting started, I, we were in the pretty home business. So if it wasn't a pretty home ready to live in, then it, then it wasn't what I was interested in. So I would just turn those down. And in fact, I 
turn those over to a referral partner and they would send me all the pretty homes. So we were in the no equity pretty home business, right? That's the perfect candidate for a lease option. Now, if it was a property that needed work, so I, later in my career, I started getting into more of that. Um, typically, I would just sublease it out exactly like it is. So, you, have you heard the joke, Leo, where you have a problem selling a house, so you throw a rock through the window, mark it as a handyman special, and put it right back on the market for the exact same price, and then you get you get people interested in it? Like if you, the perception is, if you can create a perception of value, people are gonna wanna do the deal. So how can I add value to my buyer if it's a beat up property? Well, how about I lower my option, my, my down payment or my option consideration amount? How about I lower my exit price? Let's say, hey, this is a handyman special. You can, you can uh, sweat equity, right? You can build the equity into this by, by making these repairs. You would be surprised at how many phone calls you get. So I, I wouldn't do the rehab. I would have my, uh, my new tenant do the rehab for me. Yeah, awesome, awesome. I I know that that people kind of get stuck on that part. So thank you for you know explaining that a little bit. Um, so uh, from that, uh, uh, you've done many many transactions here. Um, and I I know read your bio, you know over two thousand, you know transactions. So there's this gap of uh you know how that's scaling operations for you. Can you yeah. talk talk through that a little bit more? Yeah, let's get into how I got into the private business, the private lending business. So I was recruited to be a mortgage broker. I, I did love the um, the financing side of, of the industry. And I got recruited to be a mortgage broker. And this was coming into maybe 2005-ish, um, close to 2006. And interest rates were starting to creep up then. And, and the, the spreads between all my lease options weren't quite as good. So I, I wanted to create multiple streams of income. I wanted to create another stream. And so that would be a fee-based, would be great. So I decided to be a mortgage broker and charge commissions and originate loans and that. And that was going to help supplement my investing. Uh, but it turns out, like I mentioned, Leo, it was, it was terrible because I was approving people for money or for, yeah, for money to buy like their dream home. And they would go out and find their dream home. And here we are getting ready to close on it. And the guidelines changed on that money and they no longer qualified for it. So I have to pick up the phone. This happened a couple of times. I had to pick up the phone and tell this family that they can no longer buy their dream home that they put all this you know, emotion into. I, that was terrible. I was like losing sleep and like, I need to figure out how to get control and, and I need to control my own business. So I started working for a lady, her name was Susan. This was in 2006 and Susan took me under her wing. I was already borrowing money from her. She was great at investor financing. So I was borrowing from her. And she taught me how to bring in private capital and then loan that out. So that way I can create the underwriting guidelines. I can create the standards. Now we have common sense in the industry. I can make, make decisions based on a clear path to, to get my money back. Um, so she helped me with that. And then in 2008, when everything was collapsing in around us, um, she decided that we were all going through a financial tough time. Anybody that was in the industry would tell you it was challenging. And, and she she decided that she didn't want to be in the trenches. She didn't want to do real estate deals. She wanted to focus on teaching real estate instead of doing much safer. So she went off to start like some education program. And I'm a trenches guy. So I started buying financial at that time. At the beginning, it was one investor, one, one private money investor, one real estate investor for a fix and flip. And I would just kind of marry the two together. Um, Got into a little bit of trouble, which I can tell you the story with some regulators because I didn't know that I was violating a securities rule at the time. Um, so I had to deal with that and get through get through that. Uh, but the feedback I was getting from my private and passive investors was, 
look, this is too much money into one project. I need more diversification. I need some liquidity. Private notes are not liquid. There is not, despite what people tell you, it is not an open market. Um, you definitely need to decrease principal balances or sell at discounts to get those sold. Um, so not enough diversification, not enough uh, liquidity, and the investment size was too was too big. So I, to create to solve those three problems, I created a mortgage fund. Uh, this is in two thousand nine, and solved all three of those problems. Uh, didn't structure that probably the best way for profitability. So I closed that in two thousand eleven, started a second fund. Um, that one grew pretty big. Right now it's about twenty five million, uh, but it's been closed for years. Um, and then the most recent fund is a public fund, which I'm most proud of. Um, we're going to take accredited and non-accredited investors, and I can advertise, which is very different than most funds can do. Um, and and that that's it's growing like crazy. That's the one I'm most proud of, and that's how our our business is kind of structured around that fund now. Yeah, awesome. Um, so uh, I I think a lot of people still have nightmares about the. 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, you know, and it's really give people a a lot of hesitation. And so um, I mentioned that about that time because it's literally 10 years plus ago. um, And here we are and people are still uh, uh, emotionally attached to that time. And so um, I want to bring that up because you went through it. Um, I went through it um, in, in a different industry, so I definitely saw all that stuff as well. Um, how, what would you say to people that are in complete fear right now of that everything is going to collapse around them today? Uh, take a breath. Um, look, we're not anywhere near where we were in 2008. Now, nobody saw that coming, um, but it was a complete collapse in the credit system. We're not anywhere close to that now. So. Right now, we're having we're having some pressure in the, in the economy, but it's being created by the government. This is very, very much forced. It's needed, so I'm not I'm not discounting that. We need to get inflation under control, but it's very much forced. Uh, it's a forced recession. So this is more similar similar to what you would have seen in the 1990s than what 2008. 2008 caught everyone by surprise. It was a, a, a direct directly related to um, credit. And, and we're not seeing that now. We're, in fact, we have record, not quite record. Record was in the near the end of two, uh, 2022, but record equity, uh, partly because down payment requirements have been uh, standard since 2008. So we have much larger down payments. And we have, you talked about it, the crazy uh, appreciation rates that we've seen across the country the last couple of years. So equity creates a cushion for a collapse. The, the way I say that is, when we start seeing more layoffs, which that's going to be the next thing we see, when we start seeing the jobs um, unemployment go unemployment go up, you're going to start seeing uh, people wanting to sell their houses because they can't afford them anymore. Equity creates the option for them to do that. They could sell it. They don't have to do a fire sale or a distress sale or a foreclosure like we were seeing in 2008, 9, and 10. Right? So equity is huge. And credit, you know, the average credit score is over 760 for an average so I think we have much sounder, stronger credit than we have ever before. Yeah, I, I think people forget about those parts, you know, because they're not in the industry, so they don't know. So a lot of fear overtakes them because uh, part of it is the unknown. And so that's a really good, uh, good thing to remind people is that for most people who 
uh, have come through that 2008 crash over the last 10, 12 plus years, uh, people have been conservative. And so sure. if you have bought at any time in those years, uh, the earlier the earlier you bought, the more equity you have today, right? And you might have spun that off to two or three other homes even, right? But even if you bought five years ago, seven years ago, you have a ton of equity. And that's most people because they realize that, oh, I can't just go borrow like crazy and go buy myself a boat whenever I wanted, right? And uh, But I have this house, as long as I take care of that, my family is secure. Uh, let's make sure we do a good job, you know, with, you know, uh, increase our, our income to get a, get a better job or continue to, you know, to grow without all these other risks of, you know, spending $30,000 on some crazy vacation for the family, which yeah. they did in 2007. Uh, I, know. I know. Right? So that conserve, conservative aspect for the last 12 years have built up our economy. Right. Our, our our household net worth have gone up tremendously year over year. And then when we get here, uh, basically, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, is what you're saying is, you know, we're much sounder position for uh, economy as a whole because of people's personal uh, wealth uh, on their assets and uh, how hard they've you know worked over, over the many years. Yeah, well, let me. Yes. But let me clarify a little bit here. Sometimes I'm saying there's record equity in real estate. So that creates a little buffer and some some options if there's forced to sell. We are also seeing now record consumer debt. So it's not like we're roses and, and sunshine here. There's there is some issues that we have to get through. You got you got a, a flight to quality issue with small banks. There's run on small banks. They're all going to the big boys, um, which is creating the too big to fail, which is exactly the part of the problem that we had in 2008. So I could see similar some similarities there. Um, but I don't think that it's it's an issue, at least in the residential real estate. Commercial is a different story. Now, there is going to be some pain in the commercial sector. And that's strictly because, and that's by design, it's because the interest rates have doubled. And so now they, the properties don't cash flow when you take out new new financing, new debt. In fact, they, we, we call it negative leverage. That's when a cap rate is lower than the money that you're using to borrow. The cap rate is a, is a return on an investment if you assume no debt on it at all. So an office building, for example, if it sells for a five cap, they call it, it will return a 5% return, cash on cash return to you, the investor, the owner of that building, if you had no debt on it at all. Now, the idea, of course, is that you can borrow money under that and increase your cash on cash returns significantly, right? But now if you're borrowing at six and the cap's five, that's negative leverage, the more money you put into a deal, the lower your return goes. So it's very unusual time that we're seeing right now. Um, you're going to see cap rates go up. They have to, which means prices have to come down. Um, now that's on the commercial side, residential side. We're in a housing crisis. We're in a housing inventory crisis. There's just flat, not enough inventory. California is a great example. Builders are on, are down 20% on new permits. Nobody's building. Partly government, sure, but partly because there, there's the builder sentiment's not good. Yeah. So where's this inventory going to come from? that will, will drive prices down that everybody's worried about. I don't see where it's going to come from. So I'm optimistic, but I'm also cautious. Uh, and I do want to say this, Leo, I got to get this in because people are saying, let's let's just wait. Let's wait because deals are going to get better. We're going to sit on the sideline and we're not going to do anything else. In fact, I'm going to put my money in the stock market, which there's some risk there for sure. When you start seeing layoffs, you're going to see stock, stock markets come down. But we're going to wait, we're going to wait, we're going to wait. And then what ends up happening is 
the, the, the crash never comes. And now you're two or three years past and, and we've been seeing appreciation the entire time. So I would just be careful that if you just the, decide to wait, that you might you might never get in the game. Right? Yeah, I, I think people uh, uh, wait because they see too many news articles on social media, on TV, whatever it is. Okay, it's fear based. It's a it's a fear based media, you know, because that's what people gravitate toward. And so that becomes their truth. And so they miss all of these other things that, you know, you're talking about, you know, uh, you know, for sure, we needed to slow down the pace of inflation. This, this is also with homes, like I mentioned earlier, you know, over 20% a year increase in value, like we can't sustain that. Um, but uh, it's the same thing. I think uh, people are waiting, and this is just my opinion, of course, um, are going to be sorely, you know, missing out on uh, what they can have, you know, right now. Uh, because we do not, you know, professionals like yourself do not see it coming down. We have low inventory and extremely high demand still, even if they're right. sitting there waiting, waiting, it's still demand. Like, and, and it's interesting to me, uh, we were just talking about it with one of my friends. Um, and uh, he, uh, he said, well, it's a very interesting time because where in what market do you have uh, a seller's market where people are not buying? <laughs> Right. <laughs> like, like, how does that like, you know, even work? And that's kind of where we're at. We're, we're in a seller's market because as soon as inventory comes on, good inventory, they're gone. And I right. try to tell people like what inventories left there are things that people don't want. And they could still be really good deals. They just people don't want it because they want the, you know, the turnkey, the nice things that they have in their head. Uh, but they, you know, miss out on the diamond in the rough. Um, and so there may be some negotiation there because they're pricing it too high to stay on the market right. for whatever reason. So the numbers that are being shown to you, okay, about the market is wrong because we have two markets. We have one market, things come on the market, they're gone. And then you have the other market, the stuff that's sitting that nobody wants, and that's the market people are reporting on. So it's, a complete, it's, it's completely uh, boggles my mind that people can't see that at all. You know, uh, they, they can't see, you know, that that things are still going like, hey, the market is, you know, terrible, right? Like, well, no, depends on like, if you want a home today, like we can get you a really great home. And so it's people are just, it, yeah, people just cannot, they, they cannot grasp two things at the same time. And demand, you, you mentioned it, but you're right. If you look at uh, the Mortgage Bankers Association, they put out weekly the, the applications and new purchase loan applications. It's gone up six or five or six weeks. And it's a lot like the last week is 7.8% increase in purchase uh, applications. So you know that people are out there wanting to buy and we don't have the inventory. Here's the thing. The media can manipulate data, right? So they say, let's say in Denver, for example, we had... 0.49 months of inventory for a, a while. A month of inventory is assuming no new inventory hits the market. How many months will it take to absorb everything? So there's until there's nothing. So it, it, it accounts for supply and demand. So I love looking at months of inventory. Well, now we're at 1.4. So we went from basically 0.5 to 1.4. That's a big, as a percentage, that's a huge jump. So you see a oh, 200% increase in inventory and you'll see headlines like that. We're at, at 1.4 yeah. months of inventory. Yeah. You know, uh, you'll hear different things, but a stable market is somewhere between four and six months. That's going to be where neither seller or buyer has an advantage. Somewhere between four and six. And we're at 1.4. So are you telling me that if we're in a we're in a terrible market? 
But it's, it sounds like it when you read the headline, right? That's right. They'll find all the negative numbers, you know, to show you, to make you be afraid, right? But you have to balance that with, you know, the other numbers because uh, if, if you don't compare, because at the end of the day, it's relative, right? <laughs> you know, something... Right. You know, Perception's that, reality, right? That, that's right. That's right. And so, again, I just can't... Uh, I, I just want to make sure that people understand they're not out there to give you data, real data and facts. They're out there to sell views, sell your attention. And, um, you know, you really need to talk to professionals nowadays to really get a good picture of what it really looks like and have them talk to you about your specific situation, because who cares how it affects everybody else? Really, only thing that matters is how it affects you. So hopefully people can take that to heart. Um, I, I, I want to spend a few minutes um, talking about your expertise around private lending. So uh, uh, for the people out there who are a little bit more advanced or want to get into more of kind of the private lending world and figure out where they might fit, whether you know they can fund stuff and get a return, uh, if they want to be investors or they want to be more active, you know, be able to uh, uh, get uh, lending for themselves to buy other things. Talk us through all that stuff that you offer that um, you know is really the core of your business. Yeah, so we've been talking a lot, Leo, about investing in real estate and how beneficial that is and how it can really grow your wealth. And I agree with all of that. But everything we've talked about to this point has been active investing. And that means that you own the building. You, you're you responsible for managing the manager or managing the tenant. And you're going to have issues like tenants locking themselves out. You're going to have toilets and, and, and contractors and, and all of those things. I have a condo right now that's giving me a, a heartburn because... I've got plumbing issues in the ceiling that service the unit above me, and I can't get this, them to help me or the HOA to help me. So now I'm stuck with this problem. So if, you, if you're looking for a passive way to, to invest in real estate, you don't want those problems necessarily, you're going to have to give up some return, <laughs> for sure. But if you're interested in something like that, then lending is a fantastic way to go. That's why I got into this, and this is why I invest a lot of my money also. Because look, when you're in the debt position, first of all, it's totally passive. I'm not dealing with contractors, I'm not dealing with tenants, and I'm not dealing with property managers. Uh, and I'm in a debt position at a low loan to value. So when I say debt position, it's over equities. I don't own the real estate. I own the loan on the real estate. So I'm the very first one to get paid back. If there's any kind of problems, I get my money before anybody else does, basically. So that's why I feel safer on the debt side of this business, um, but I'm still exposed to real estate. So if you're looking for some real estate exposure, without the, the extra risk or hassle, then private lending is a great way to go. Um, mortgage, there's a lot of mortgage fund options. Obviously we have ours that we talked a little bit about today, um, but you could do it on your own too. And if you do it on your own, you could charge fees and, and points at higher interest rates than you might get if you're investing in a fund. Um, the problem with that is you're taking on a little bit of risk, especially if you don't know what you're doing. And I, I get a lot of calls, Leo, from people saying, how, how do I protect my money? I'm, Here's the situation and they're already into the deal. Now they're in a junior position or a third position or, or they didn't have the appropriate insurance on the property and there was a fire or something. And they come to me for help and it's like kind of too late, guys. I'll, I'll do the best that I can. But you're, you kind of put yourself in this position. So here's how I would approach it going forward and try to get out. But you're going to end up taking a hit here. And I was getting these calls, so I decided to write a report for people that want to do it on their own so that they can protect their money. I don't want to see anybody lose money. 
So I, did, I can offer that to your viewers if you like for free. It's just a basic report on how to lend on real estate and, and be safe about it. Um, and so that that's where we're focused right now is on the, the debt side. Um, look, we're going through a tough time in the economy and the recession, and it's going to get a little bit tougher. The, 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 the Fed is very clear about this. This is their intent. Uh, we're going to create unemployment. We're going to create pain is the words that they used. And the stock market's a scary place to be. So if you're looking to get out of Wall Street and onto Main Street and you don't want to buy the real estate, then the, then private lending would be a great way to go. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I, I think um, you're asset to be able to share that, um, you know, uh, that report with people would be really awesome. Uh, we'll get that into the comments, into the show notes and um, all that stuff so that, that there's enough access for people to find it. That'd be super great. Um, and I, I think, uh, you know, uh, reducing risk is the game, right? Um, you know, uh, totally. and and I I I don't know. Like, if I were to you know get into that myself, you know, we just have to understand that first position is everything. You know, because yeah. uh, any if you're in second position, third position, whatever it is, uh, you're you're the one that gets cut out first, right? That's right? And so if you are putting some risk down on something like this, then uh, first position is is really the key to everything. Uh, I would go as far as even saying like first position or nothing, right? And you know, yeah, you can tell I agree, hundred percent agree with you. In the second position, you, it might appear like you have equity protecting you, but there's two things that people forget about. First, if there's a foreclosure, you have to be able to buy out that first. They get paid first, so if you can't pay them off, you don't have any rights to that property at all. So you better be ready to come up with some cash to pay them off. One and two, if there's a default on that first, you better be. Better be sure you know what the default rate is and the penalties and fees that get associated with that. Because if it's a if it's a one year or eighteen month process to get through foreclosure before you even have a chance to get the asset, you're going to have to pay all of those uh, default rate, all of those late fees, all those attorneys' fees. So that first mortgage that you think you're behind is not true. It, it's definitely going to be higher than that, and it could be significantly higher than that. We see some default rates at 21%. I mean, how long does it take to add a lot of money to that first position note at 21% interest? Right. And now you just wiped out all of your equity, so you have no collateral at all. So yes, I agree with you, Leo. It's for, for us, it's first or nothing. Yeah, I mean, you 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 get hit first, and you know, with all of the fees that required for it to even you know be able to transact out of the you know foreclosure, and um, so so that hopefully if you can take anything away from that as far as you know investing in 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 real estate in what position you should be, you know that definitely is important. And so uh, again, um, I, I appreciate you so much, uh, Kevin, for sharing all that stuff. The twenty years of knowledge, like you can't get back. Like you can't start today and say like I'm gonna go through everything that Kevin's going to go through and I'll, I'm going to be him 20 years from now. No, no, no. We want you to, you know, read from all the benefits of all the experience that you have and uh, be able to compress that time into uh, hopefully a year or two or three years so that you can really take action to do that. Um, so uh, I want to uh, just thank you for being here. Uh, but as per tradition on our podcast, uh, we always ask our guests to uh, share a quote that they uh, that they uh, that resonates with them. Uh, share a quote that uh, they think it would benefit, you know, everyone based on you know their experience. Uh, so, Kevin, do you want to share your quote and tell everyone what yeah. that means to you? Yeah. So this is a quote that I actually uh, I actually said, and I, I was getting feedback. I was I was teaching classes and teaching people how to invest in real estate, and and I said this, and there, and I was like getting 
getting feedback. Like, you got to have that as a quote or whatever. So, um, so this is something I said, and it, it's don't ever underestimate the power of your actions. But one small step can change your life forever. Yeah, awesome. Um, I uh, we used to talk about it a lot with uh, some of our masterminds around real estate as well. Is that you're just you know same thing like you said exactly what you said is uh, you're one decision away or one action away from your entire life, you know, changing, you know, for right. the better, right? So uh, so I, I just uh, you know appreciate that you know so much because we have to remember that if we wake up doing the same thing over and over, we just stay where we are. Sorry. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Uh, love your wisdom and love all that you have to share with all of your experience and your story is uh, so amazing to us. Um, and we'd love to have you come back sometime and we'll talk about the market when it's a little different <laughs> and that yeah. way uh, we can uh, you know, also benefit uh, everybody to stay up to date. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, that's it for us. Uh, have a great day, everyone. Thanks, Leo. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure that you subscribe to receive notifications of all new episodes and please give us a positive review. And if you want to hang out with us live, check out our YouTube channel where you can continue the conversations with me and our guests.